Welcome to the VBAC Home Birth Stories podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Winning. I'm a home birth, free birth guide, fear and mindset coach, podcaster, speaker, women's rights activist, and highly sensitive person. I'm a mother of three girls, and I've had two unplanned and unneeded C-sections with a special scar. I birthed our third 4.5 kilo baby at home in a free birth after not being able to access a home birth midwife. My own journey has sparked a deep passion to support women to find their strength and courage to create the pregnancy, birth and postpartum you desire and deserve. This podcast is for women wanting to learn more about VBATs, especially home births and professionals who want to learn more about how to support VBAC women and families. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode. Today I'm going to be talking a little bit about statistics. I know that statistics are something that a lot of us cling to and a lot of us seek out. We live in this world of data and people talking data and that being evidence and it being something of importance. And I do feel that it has a place in using, of course, in the medical industry, they need something, they need evidence, they need proof. That is science. Science is, you know, theorizing something and then experimenting and then collecting data and analyzing and looking at it in all different ways and someone theorizing and, you know, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. And we see this all the time happen. We saw it with um, Stephen Hawkins, who theorized about black holes. There are a lot of scientists. They're very smart and intelligent people. They work on researching and looking into things and hypothesizing. So I have great respect for academics, for people who spend all their time researching. What a wonderful life. You know, they're looking at things and they're creating new things for us, medicines and different ways. And without people like this in our society, we wouldn't be where we are today. We've had people who are willing to, you know, fail thousands of times to create the light bulb. Thank goodness for people that have innovation and want to make the world a better place for us and have that drive and are constantly pushing the boundaries. And I think that the medical industry, especially a lot of the farmers have used the evidence as ways to sell their products and their medicines. They have to report on how safe it is. They have to, you know, they have to be held accountable, right? So there have to be policies and things set up so that we can prove in a way that this is safe. And then they write a big list of the pros and cons or, you know, on the vaccines or medicines. These are the long list of side effects. And, you know, from a very young age, I knew this when I was getting birth control and I'm reading all the side effects, all the things that could happen. But then the doctor says to you, but it's all right. There's not really that much of a risk. And you kind of think, okay, well, I trust the doctor. So you go along trusting the doctor, right? Because they're giving it to you. But then you hear stories of people who've been taking this medicine. I mean, we, we talk about, I heard this story. I was watching, what was it called? Call the Midwife. I love that show. <laughs> love, love, love it. And there was, I can't even remember the correct terming or what, it, what the medication was, but babies were be- being born with no arms or deformed arms and no legs, deformed legs. And so what they were doing was when those babies were born, often they would take the baby and go put it on the windowsill and allow that baby to die. They were killing the baby, essentially. There was nothing wrong with the baby except for they had malformed arms and legs. 
they didn't allow the woman to see the baby a lot of the time because that's what they did. They took the, the control and power and they deemed what was right for the person and the woman. And in those times, it would have been really hard to have a child with those sorts of disabilities. They didn't have things that we have now. They didn't have robotic arms and legs and things that we are now just creating. And it reminds me of a time when I was watching one of the Viking shows about, um, what's his name? Something the Boneless. And this is all based on history. And so this guy, he, he ended up being a very powerful king, I think, in the Vikings days. This is a very long time ago. I'm watching it from a TV series, so don't quote me on anything, but I do know that this is a real person. And so his father in the show, at least, was, you know, the humane thing to do. He was going to kill him, put him in the river or whatever he was going to do because he knew he would have a hard life. He knew that he wouldn't be valued in that current culture and society and he tried to do the right thing and in that was right for those days and but then he couldn't do it and then his son grew up and he was quite vicious actually and I think because of him growing up in that way he became more vicious because he had something to prove but he had some sort of disease or something where his bones hadn't formed in his legs so he couldn't stand but they created like this little wheelchair or something for him so he get I think he actually just crawled around actually now that I think about it but I digress I love stories. I love learning off other people. The statistics so that we've created this like world where we have to show, you know, we have to prove to people that this is the right and safe and the best way. And so they come up with statistics. And, you know, when I was going to the VBAC world and when I was having my VBAC, I got all the statistics and I held them with confidence. I was like, my odds are great. I've got great odds at having a VBAC and, you know, all these things. There was all these statistics and all these things that could happen. There was so much surrounded by this rather than anyone actually saying to me, Ashley, what do you want to do? What do you intuitively feel is the right thing for you? There was no conversation about me as a person, my desires, and there was no like regard for my intuition or my will or what I wanted, even though from the beginning of time, we're intuitive and wise creatures. And at some point we decided to stop listening to our intuition so much and deem data and numbers as something of importance. And they, this, I was listening to this amazing podcast episode on Brene Brown's podcast. I can't remember what it was called, but she was interviewing a researcher who spends her whole life researching and, and doing numbers. But she was talking, they were talking about something to do with the online space and online world and the damage that it could be creating for people and the difficulties that people have. And they were having this interesting conversation about data and how if you put numbers up on the whiteboard, people are more likely to listen to those because in our society, maths and science is deemed as the most important thing and nobody can argue with it. And if you do, you're deemed like a sea witch or something. Whereas words and people's feelings and things come in secondary or even non-existent. So we've powered through with these numbers. And, and these numbers are just an indication of people on average. People on average. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen or won't happen to you. And so sometimes the statistics can give you a false sense of hope or a false sense of you can't achieve this thing and I find that statistics can be very very disempowering for some people especially people who are deemed as high risk or at lower chance of success 
And let's use me as an example because I have a very high BMI. I'm extremely overweight. I have a high BMI over 60. It's, it's over 60. In the hospital system, that is scaringly dangerous to them. That is so scary for them because over a certain amount, I think it's probably 30 or 35 or something, you were deemed in the obese category, something like that, and all these things can happen to you. You're at risk of cancer. You're at risk of diabetes. You're at risk of heart disease. You're at risk of this. You're at risk of that, depression. Like all these things you're at risk of, a higher percentage. I don't actually know what the percentage is. I haven't spent time looking at the percentages. Maybe it's like four times the risk of an average person. But if we look at it, maybe the risk is, I don't know. I don't know what the risk is. I know when we look at birth, you know, often it's talked about, you're at double the chance of this happening to you. But when you look at the risk, it's risk of the double, the risk of 0.01%. So now your risk is 0.02%, which is nothing. So you're talking to me and you're freaking me out about this doubled risk of nothing. And way to drive anxiety through the roof for anybody who is already feeling a little bit vulnerable and anxious and worried, but they use these tools to manipulate and control people. I'm not saying that they don't have a place because it's really good to have a guide and understand this could happen. But the thing that I feel it lacks is that there's no customization or individualization. So you could have two people. I have a friend who is quite unwell and not a very healthy person who needs medication to survive who's had multiple surgeries who has had this and that but they've got a healthy bmi weight range so they would be deemed as more suitable to have a v-back or a vaginal birth and wouldn't have been dared pestered at all because they fit this tiny little box of they're not fat they're not obese they're not overweight they don't have all these other risks that, that could happen, even though they are very unhealthy. And here's me, very healthy. I have no health problems whatsoever. No, I get my, my stuff checked regularly. I have no cholesterol problems, no heart problems, no nothing right now, thank goodness, touch wood. And they will look at me as incapable, incompetent because their little data bank says, bing, 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 all these things could happen because their data puts me at risk. They can't look at me as a competent, confident woman and see that I'm capable of doing things. They don't look at my, they're not looking holistically at my whole life and all of the things that I have achieved. They don't know any of that information about me. In fact, that would probably be a better way of knowing if someone was capable of doing something by knowing what they've achieved in their life, what their mindset's like and what they're willing to do to make things happen rather than predetermining with some data box. Now, that's just the top, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to statistics. I heard Dr. Rachel Reed talk about statistics because she's a researcher I heard her talk at a doula conference many years ago. I think it was like 2018 and I was blown away. I could not believe this piece of information that she had 
drop the box on. So she was privy to as a researcher and somebody who has been trained to know how to research properly. She explained, and look, this is a few years ago, so I'm just going to reiterate the story as I know it. If anyone's listening and there's been some errors or mistakes, I do apologize, but this is how I took it and this is my version of the story. So I'm sitting there watching this amazing woman speak, never heard of her, never met her before, never seen anything from her that I know of. And she's talking about how statistics and research can be biased. She's talking about how it comes together. So they somebody, somebody out there decides they're going to create a, a group that they're going to do some research because they want an outcome. So first of all, they're deciding, I want an outcome. So the person that's doing it is usually somebody who has a benefit from this outcome because it sells their product because they need the evidence to show somebody that this is a viable thing. You see it all the time for uh, products on TV and they're like in a survey we did and there's like all this small writing and then you see it's like, you know, 50 people in the survey or something in the study and you think they do it for – when they're going to put a new line of food, they get people to come in and tell them what they like, what they don't like. But they do things like ah, oh, 50% longer, you know, no sweat time for deodorant. And they've done like a little study and they put that in as evidence for why their product is better because they have to for legality reasons. They can't say make those claims unless they can prove that it actually is effective. But the thing is, how do they come to that conclusion? And is the conclusion actually right? They've got a team of people just like picking and choosing what they're going to add and not enclosing or disclosing other things that could be really important or detrimental for the person to know because it doesn't benefit them selling their deodorant if you know that maybe it makes your armpit itchy or something like that, whatever it is. They've, they always hold and hide the information that doesn't benefit them selling the product but then they put all the lovely things out there. It's like the irony of the toilet paper company who collects five cents off of every toilet roll or every packet that you buy to put towards tree conservation. So they're cutting down all the trees, but they're seen as a helpful company because they give five cents to the tree conservation or something like that. It's kind of that deception. It can be used in a good way, but most of the time it's for marketing purposes. It's not for the name of science. It's so they can get their products onto the line. So the FDA in America and and whatever we call it here in Australia, so that they approve it because they've ticked all the boxes that legally they have to and they can't get their ass sued. That's what they're that's what they're doing. So when they when they do decide I want to get this machine, I want to get this new product. And a really good example of this could be, say they want to get this new fan angle CTG monitor or something, and they do this study group and they get a researcher. And then Dr. Rachel Reed was saying that, so she's qualified, she's done the extra training, but what they did, even though she was the one that knew what was happening and she's got the experience, they put an obstetrician at the head of the team. So you've got an obstetrician at the head of the team now trying to find out this outcome who's going to probably have a biased viewpoint and probably want to lead it down a certain way because they're the head, they're the boss, even though they don't have that experience of being a researcher and understanding how the data collates. I'm sure they've had some experience in doing this, but it's not primarily their job function, whereas a researcher is 
it's primarily their job function or at least half of the time of their job, right? They understand the, the, the numbers. They understand all of the things that are happening. Whereas maybe an obstetrician is just really good at surgery, really good at other things. I'm sure they have the ability to read the data, but why are they at the head of this expedition? Then what happens is they'll collate information and find information. And sometimes they'll find information that goes against what they found to be the opposite of the, the conclusion they're trying to find. Or sometimes they find information that would be really helpful for the public to know, but it's not part of what they're trying to find. So they just bury that information, doesn't, doesn't come out essentially. And so they find what they're looking for sometimes in a biased way and they've got a team of people and then they come up with this outcome and then essentially the person who was paid for, for that to happen has got their result and off they go and they sell their product. That's usually what happens. There are other times when things happen and they do research, of course, like if someone's doing a PhD, they get to choose what they want to study and they're going out there. A lot of the time, and I heard that on the Brene Brown, you know, you've got researchers sometimes that go into situations and they have an open mind and they're not being paid by anyone, essentially, or they're going in curious. They're interested in it. And with this interview with Brene Brown, the researcher was really surprised at some of the information and outcomes that she was coming across and finding. Sometimes we can hang on to these statistics and, you know, for my, so we come back to my story. I was told, you know, I was having a chat with a jeweler friend of mine the other day. And I said to her, you know, if I was on the hospital system looking at the VBAC cal calculator and everything, I maybe had a 10% chance or under of actually having successful VBAC in the hospital based on this calculator. And she said to me, well, more likely like 1% or under. <laughs> and, you know, true, probably. I did do a couple of VBAC calculations actually the other day. Let me see if I can find them on my computer while I'm talking about this. Because, let me see, let me see. I did a couple of them and they were quite funny actually. Oh, I did one. Okay, so I've got one here that I was looking at. So it says here, vaginal birth after cesarean calculator. Maternal age, I put in my age, I put in my height, I put in my uh, weight, although it didn't go up to my weight limit. It cut off before my weight. And am I African-American? No. Hispanic? No. Any previous vaginal delivery? No. I'm just pretending like it was my second baby. Any vaginal delivery since? No. Indication of prior cesarean of arrest of dilation? Okay, results, prediction, predicted chance of vaginal birth after cesarean, 23.3%. Wow. So that's not in considering that I've had multiple cesareans. That's not considering that I had a special scar. That's not considering my true weight, which is a lot heavier. That's not considering that I had uh, GD. Oh, my goodness. So I imagine my chances of actually having a vaginal birth based on their calculations would have been pretty low, probably 10% or under, I'm, I'm imagining. And most of them would probably say no, because they thought that the risk of rupture was so high, um, even though I believe it to be about 2% for my special scar. It's really interesting that they cling to these this evidence of this is going to happen to you, or this will not happen to you. And we've heard it in the story where I shared the story of 
Katie who had a uterine rupture and she shared her story and she was surprised and the, the medical team was really surprised that this had happened to her. And I imagine because she was deemed a good candidate. But the thing is, ultimately, at the end of the day, it could happen to anyone. Anyone can have a rupture. Anyone can have anything happen to them. Just because the risks are low doesn't mean you won't be that one person or that unfortunate group of people that this happens to. And just because you have being told that you have a very low chance of having a vaginal birth doesn't mean that you're incapable of doing it. At the end of the day, it comes down to what you intuitively feel about yourself and your mindset and how you set yourself up to achieve anything. And we know this when we hear stories of people who come from the hardest lifestyles and then people that were sharing their stories like Oprah came from a hard life. As a colored woman, she had to fight her way to she was told she was ugly and she couldn't be on TV. And look at her now. She's a billionaire who is a global known name, very successful, one of the most successful women in the world. If you look at the finance side of things, financially successful. And most people would have told her, no, statistically or whatever, this is not going to be. So I think it's really important to keep in mind when statistics are really important, when they're helpful and when they're going to you know, basically muck with your mind. I had somebody message me recently who said that they had a very low chance of having a vaginal birth because of X, Y, Z. And I said, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. What evidence or information have you been provided? And she said to me, oh, this and that and that. And I said, that's interesting because everything that I've come up with says the opposite. She said, oh, yeah, well, I was just thinking that maybe it's just that and I'm not going to have a home birth anymore. And I said to her, it's really interesting that you're coming to that conclusion and that your mind is already telling you that you're not going to have this happen. It's really important to be aware of how these can drive you, how it can change your mindset and how you reframe what you're capable of doing. I know in my journey with my VBAC and my free birth, my mindset was on point. Even though I had fears and worries and, you know, doubts at times, I knew I could do it. I believed in myself. Even though nobody else believed in me, sometimes that stubbornness in me serves me. And there were a lot of people that did believe in me. So I, I held on to their hope and I held on to my own hope. And I'm a very hopeful person. I think hope can be a really helpful thing and sometimes a detrimental thing. But holding on to that hope and belief really helped me. I never allowed anything to waver. I always believed and I always sought evidence to show me that I could achieve whatever it is that I want in my life. And although these things might be hard and although they might feel unattainable, we can strive to reach these things that we want to achieve in life and nothing's going to hold us back if we don't want it to if we have the right mindset the right attitude and the right support and a few other things <laughs> we can do big things and I know this to be true because I feel like I've done so many amazing big things in my life and I think look how far I've held myself back because of what other people taking too much notice of what other people think that I can achieve of listening to what other people deem me to be capable of and if I allowed statistics to rule my choices I would have been having another cesarean and I never would have had my free birth I never would be on this podcast sharing stories with you today and I think I would be a very different person I don't think I would be so fulfilled as I am now and so inspired. I feel like everything in my life has led me to this point of me living a life of in alignment and truly finding the joy and being able to 
create this amazing community and be connected and hear stories and be inspired by all of you amazing women who reach out to me and share your stories. It just brings me so much joy. I can't even believe it, like how much joy I get. I read women's stories. Like I read one this morning in my community group and just seeing her face holding her baby after her V-back home birth just brought me so much happiness this morning. I thought, I'm so happy for you and I can see so much happiness on your face. And it was amazing. And also being there to support women and hear their stories when things don't go right as well. Because every woman's story is valid and every woman deserves to be supported and held. And I don't want anyone to ever feel like they can't share those feelings in my group either. So recapping on this episode of statistics, I hope that's given you a little bit of insight into what I consider and what I think about statistics and my experience and also sharing other people's experiences in the best way that I possibly can. Let me know how you feel about statistics. Do they drive you? Do they? Do you find them helpful? Do you feel that they rule you a little bit too more? Do you feel like you want to connect with yourself, your intuition a little bit more and your own wisdom? I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Send me a message on Instagram or email me at hello at themotherhoodcircle.com.au. If you would like to share your story on the podcast, please do get in contact with me. I would love to share your story. And if you have a recommendation for a topic or you want to hear something on the podcast or you want a special guest, you have a favorite guest that you want to hear from, please do let me know. Send me an email. I would love to look at that and see what I can do for you. I'm here to support you on your journey. And I look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the VBAC Home Best Stories podcast. I hope this episode has helped you take another step forward in your VBAC Home Best journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps me get this message out to more women just like us. Want to follow along and get freebies and offerings? Find me on Instagram, Ashley L. Winning, and send me a DM to say hi. And come and join our safe group on Facebook. Just search Feedback Home Birth Support Group. Until next time, keep shining beautiful.